Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. The moment I've been warning you about for weeks is now finally upon us. Our flash fiction contest is officially live. Time to unleash that inner creative demon and channel its nefarious powers to create a bite-sized terror. Our topic this time around is the changing of seasons. How you interpret that, of course, is entirely up to you. Maybe it's the literal shifting of seasons caused by our orbit around the sun. Maybe it's the changing seasons of existence as we navigate the rise and decay of life into death. Or maybe it's something much darker and stranger. However you choose to weave your spell, we want to hear it. The contest is open to new works up to 1,500 words, and you have until April 1st to submit. Up for grabs, a $50 prize for the winner, publication on a special episode of our show, and, of course, bragging rights you can hold over all your friends and enemies. We'll also select up to four runners-up to be featured on the episode of the show, too. For more details on submission specs, and to cast your tail into the cauldron, visit talestoterrify.com slash flashcontest 
So start crafting those nightmares into reality, then send them our way. And what better way to put you in the mood to do just that than a little frightening fiction? Our first tale for the evening comes from Jeremiah Dylan Cook. Jeremiah Dylan Cook is a horror writer whose work has been featured in the Castle of Horror anthology series, Ghost Orchid Press's Hundred Word Horror series, and on the No Sleep podcast. Jeremiah completed his master's degree in writing popular fiction at Seton Hill University, and he is a member of the Horror Writers Association. You can find more about him on his website, jeremiahdillincook.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at jeremiahcook1. Children of the Night, join me for Jeremiah Dylan Cook's The Voice in the Vent. A Tales to Terrify original. Ms. Duvall, I'm going to leave you for a moment. I have a notice to deliver on the next floor. Feel free to look around while I'm gone. The suited superintendent, holding a clipboard and a collection of keys, walks down the hallway toward the elevator. The number 12 glares at me from above the peephole in the beige door. I turn the handle and cross the threshold. Inside, the entryway leads to a single room, with a kitchen and a bathroom on either side. I do a sweep of the space, clutching my purse tightly over my raincoat and diner smock. Evidence of the post-move-out cleaning is everywhere. The carpet has crisp vacuum lines, the shower tiles are free of grime, and all the countertops shine. But the curdled milk smell remains. Sunlight streams past the silhouetted cityscape outside to illuminate the space. I told myself I needed to come here to do one last look for Lloyd. But a single glance at this apartment shows how empty it is. What I see instead of my son is the pain we suffered here. The mornings when we'd wake up covered in bug bites, only for exterminators to tell us they couldn't find signs of an infestation. The nights when we'd hear someone choking in the shower until we turned on the bathroom bulbs. And then there was the voice in the vent. Lloyd first told me about it after I'd come back from working a double shift at the diner. He told me the man in the vent wanted me to live with him forever. Of course, I didn't believe Lloyd at first. I thought he'd heard one of the neighbors through the ducts. The second time he told me about the voice, I assumed he'd created an imaginary friend, something common for a six-year-old. But then I heard the voice myself. While Lloyd stayed at his grandparents over a weekend in November, I had a date end in the apartment. My one-night stand was using the bathroom when an angry male voice from the vents started calling me a slut 
and a whore. Of course, all sound stopped when my guest was present. I opened the vent and looked inside, but there was nothing out of the ordinary. I talked to the superintendent about it, and just as I'd told my son, he assured me I must have overheard a neighbor on another floor. When the voice returned, I tried to pretend it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. A month ago, we were set to leave the apartment for one closer to Lloyd's school. The voice in the vents had been silent for some time. It seemed to diminish as soon as I'd signed the lease for our new place. As we were moving out, I sent Lloyd back into the apartment to get a box of his things as I stacked items on our dolly. The pitter-patter of his footsteps ended abruptly. Sensing something was wrong, I dashed inside. The room was as empty as it is now. The only difference was that the vent cover was laying on the carpet. The police searched the building for days, all twelve floors. They found no sign of Lloyd. Of course, no one believed me when I told them a man had taken my son into the apartment's vent. The press found me guilty of being an unfit mother who let her child wander away. I kneel before the vent and pry it off the wall. You want me, not my son. Let him go. And I'll stay with you forever. In the darkness of the opening, two sickly yellow eyes spring to life. Below the horrid pupils, crimson lips curl into a sinister smile. Nothing connects the facial features as dust floats between them. The curdled milk smell intensifies. My heart beats so fast it hurts, but I can't run. This could be my only chance. I slide the gun from my purse and aim it upward. I need to know Lloyd is free first. The crimson smile straightens out and the eyes narrow. My stomach churns from the rotten stench. It takes everything I have to keep myself from fleeing. But I stay for my son. Mommy? Lloyd's voice comes from behind me. When I turn, my son is standing in the hall just outside the apartment. His face is tear-stained and his eyes are wide, but he looks the same as the day he vanished. Jean overalls, curly blonde hair, and star-patterned sneakers. I stand up and run for the door, but it slams shut and locks. The voice issues from the vent. The bargain isn't complete. I will reclaim him if you leave. I stare through the peephole and watch as the superintendent returns to find Lloyd. He picks my son up and looks around for me. I smile and sob as I raise the gun again. That was Jeremiah Dylan Cook's The Voice in the Vent, is read by Nicole Swanson. Nicole Swanson is an actor and producer from Augusta, Georgia, who has discovered she loves hiding away in her closet 
and telling stories to her loyal companion, Blackjack the Studio Dog. An occupational therapist in the Georgia Corrections System, when not narrating, Nicole enjoys a good cup of coffee while sitting on her porch swing and listening to the rain on a dark and stormy night. Discover more of Nicole's adventures at NicoleSwansonVO.com. Thank you, Nicole. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our second tale tonight comes from William R.D. Wood. William R.D. Wood traces his love of science fiction and horror back to a childhood filled with space 1999 reruns, frequent visits to the night gallery, and a worn-out copy of Dune. A good writing day finds him at any of several overlooks on the Blue Ridge Parkway, deeply immersed in new works of cosmic horror. Will lives with his wife, children, and assorted ghosts in an old farmhouse turned backwards to the road. Listen with me, children of the night, to William R. D. Wood's Jars for Their Eyes, first published in the Alien Invasion Short Stories volume of the Gothic Fantasy series from Flame Tree Publishing, 2018. Daddy, my tummy hurts. Lucas slid quickly from the dining room chair and knelt at little Zoe's side. He slipped an arm around her shoulder. Hopefully Emma hadn't overheard from the kitchen. Tummies do that sometimes, he said to the girl, pulling her close. 
The room was dark. The frequent power grid brownouts had finally stopped teasing them a few days ago, leaving the house electricity free and oddly quiet for a family of five. No, not five. Just three. The house popped and creaked, settling in. The nights grew colder day by day. Summer had been hard on them. Maybe autumn would be gentler. Daddy? Keep the tremble out of your voice, Lucas. It'll be fine. A hollow crack came from the kitchen, followed by glass scraping across the countertop, the clank of a pan. Emma was getting some of their canned vegetables ready for tomorrow. She hadn't heard Zoe. Otherwise, she'd have come in by now. The only time she paid any mind to their daughter anymore was when the poor little thing was in pain. He stroked the side of her head. A stomachache was a symptom, sure, but could just as easily come from eating too many stewed potatoes. Think positive. You're the parent here. That's your only job now. He swept a wayward strand behind Zoe's ear. She was adorable, inheriting Emma's jet-black hair and his naturally tanned skin. She had Emma's cheekbones and chin, but she'd gotten his nose. He'd always thought his nose was his worst feature, but on his little angel, it was perfect. Her most striking feature, though, were her sapphire-green eyes. Where they'd come from the family was anyone's guess. Lucas took Zoe's chin in his hand, but didn't lift it. Scared her eyes might have taken on a darker shade. He choked up but quickly covered with a small cough. He had to be strong for Zoe. Emma was busy in the kitchen, not listening. So hopefully she wouldn't be freaking out tonight. And the dark things that had claimed the rest of the world were not coming for him or what remained of his family. For whatever reason, the three of them had been spared so far. Everything was fine. Everything was going to stay that way. Does your head hurt too, honey? He wanted to smack himself. Concern had shoved the question out before he could stop it. Uh-uh. Just my tummy. That was something, at least. Kids had growing pins all the time, apocalypse or not. Pulling her head against his chest, he kissed the top of her head. A few months ago, it would have been Emma who calmed the little girl with a kiss. He'd have looked on, pretending not to be jealous. You never knew how good you had it when you were in the moment. And now, even if they disappeared, there were so few people left, what kind of life could they hope to build? Emma had been an accountant, for God's sake. And who would want a graphic designer when everyone was already blaming that damned artist in Zurich for the end of days? To everyone who was still around, anyway. Maybe Emma would become the sweet, loving mother and wife she'd been before? So much had been lost. He thought of the twins' room, now empty. No, he had to focus on Zoe. Okay, that's good then, he said, keeping his voice low, hoping she'd continue to do the same. It's all cold and rumbly, whispered Zoe. She pushed her plate away. I don't want to eat anymore. That's fine, that's fine. Here, Daddy will eat all the rest up. He scooped the few remaining potatoes into his mouth and swallowed without really chewing, making the growling and grumbling noises that always made her smile. He wiped a drop of sauce from the corner of his mouth with his thumb and licked it off. But don't tell Mommy, okay? 
Zoe was almost four now and loved secrets, her favorite being the hidden fortress under the pile of leaves in the yard. The stronghold was nothing more than the cardboard box from the refrigerator he and Emma had bought for one another for their anniversary last year. The trees had shed their leaves all at once two weeks back instead of their usual seasonal decline. Zoe had helped him rake the leaves up the sides of the box. The top was only sparsely covered, the stained cardboard peeking through. As far as Zoe was concerned, it was invisible to all but her own gaze, and those select few with whom she'd entrusted with its secret location. While he and Zoe had worked in the yard, Emma had sat on the edge of the porch, smoking, watching the two of them as they giggled and shoved armfuls of leaves along the ground. At one point, Lucas thought Emma was about to join them, but the hint of a smile had only crept out a millimeter from the corners of her mouth before returning. Sleepy, Daddy. Zoe nestled into him. Kids picked up bugs all the time, sniffles and stomach aches. Not a big deal. Besides, he'd scavenged plenty of medicine. It's getting late. Let's get you ready for bed, big girl. I'll get a flashlight and read Wonderstruck to you again. How's that sound? Leaves rustled along the ground outside in the breeze, their sound like crackling flames. Through the window, Lucas glimpsed a child-sized figure ambling down the road. Probably Miss Levesque's son from over on Charter. Almost had to be considering how damn few families stayed behind after the evacuation. The higher population densities in the refugee areas had only resulted in a proportionate increase in those claimed. That had been when they were still taking adults. The boy in the street stopped. Lucas couldn't see his eyes in the gloom, but you didn't really need to see them to know. The whole thing? asked Zoe, pushing away, suddenly more alert. What? Wonderstruck. The whole thing? The whole darn thing. Zoe squirmed, and he could tell she was grinning up at him, despite the shadows. Lucas left Zoe's bedroom door open and moved quietly through the house, past the locked door of the twins' room and down the stairs. Darkness had fallen completely outside. Moonlight seeped through thin, drab curtains. Cans and boxes lined the hallway to the kitchen. Zoe was fast asleep, but he didn't want to disturb Emma. Maybe she'd gone to couch already. She never joined him in bed anymore. Hell, she wouldn't even sleep with Zoe in her room back when the girl still bothered to beg. Kids learned. Emma's refusals had never been angry or impatient. Or even irritated. Just quiet, empty no's. It was like she'd said her goodbyes, made her peace, and Zoe was already wandering the streets with the Levesque boy. Zoe had lasted only a quarter of the way through Wonderstruck. Lucas was thankful for that. Tomorrow, when the sun came up, dingy as it had become, he'd take a good look at her eyes. Just a quick round through the house and he'd go back and bed down in the floor beside Zoe. The kitchen was dark, the tile cold through his threadbare socks, and he slid his feet along the surface to avoid the possibility of broken glass. Emma sometimes dropped jars. She seldom cleaned them up anymore. Emma had proven invaluable in the early weeks. She'd been all over the internet learning all she could about frontier living and survival. The countertop brimmed with canned vegetables, the stockpile of supplies from neighboring houses, and the mended clothes were a testament to her grit and tenacity. She'd changed as the months passed following the twins, though. 
as if her body was a fragile vessel, dropped and now riddled with tiny imperfections. Fissures that had allowed her to leak away. A tiny red light flared in the darkness. Lucas jumped. You scared me, babe. A year ago, his Emma would have laughed at catching him unawares. Lucas heard her sharp intake of breath, followed an instant later by the smell of her cigarette. She'd quit smoking when she'd gotten pregnant with Zoe, but it started back the day they'd locked up the twins' room. She asleep? Out like a light. We played pretty hard outside this afternoon. Lucas moved to the sink and looked out the window. The world was shadows, dark and darker. Without the street lights, the moon was barely enough to see by. Funny how a few tiny light bulbs had been so comforting before. In the fort, said Emma. She loves that thing, said Lucas, unable to keep the smile from his voice. I'm so glad we kept that box. You should go out and play with her in it tomorrow. The days are getting colder and it'll give me a chance to drive into town. Miss Levesque said there was another FEMA drop and we could use some more water. Emma didn't answer. Zoe would love it. She misses you, babe. She doesn't understand all this. Just that her mommy isn't playing with her anymore. It doesn't matter, Lucas. Of course it matters. She's our daughter. So what, then? It's our job? Is that it? He'd said that a few too many times, and now she wasted no opportunity to use it against him. He refused the bait. The tip of Emma's cigarette grew brighter. Long seconds later, it did so again. The silence made the darkness heavy, and the wall between them as impenetrable as the locked doorway down the hall. In the basin, a single jar lay on its side. Moonlight glinted in the crack, the tang of preserved tomatoes mixed with cigarette smoke. I heard her, said Emma. Lucas sighed. She felt fine as soon as I got her to bed. A little distraction was all she needed. She slid something heavy across the kitchen table toward him. Kids get little aches and pains all the time, said Lucas. Look around, Lucas. Her voice was quiet, emotionless. It's all theirs now. The whole fucking planet. And one way or the other, we're all just waiting to be taken too. He couldn't look at her keeping his gaze fixed on the jar. Moonlight squirmed in the crack. Emma was always worse at night. You shouldn't say stuff like that. They could leave any moment. The tip of her cigarette glowed. And we go back to our happy little lives? The base of his skull tingled as the moonlight in the jar vanished. The boy stood outside the window. The object on the table scraped against the surface. The metallic snap of the slide being pulled back filled the room. In the dark, he couldn't tell if Emma were offering him the pistol or pointing it at him. We don't need that, he said. I'll lead him away. He crossed to the door, stopping to fumble in their clutter drawer. The muscles between his shoulder blades cramped where her gaze, or that of the gun, stared at him. He pointed an LED flashlight at the floor and clicked it on and off to make sure the batteries were good. You'd be doing his mother a favor, she said. He'll follow me. It'll be okay. Lucas opened the door. 
A gust of chilled autumn air entered. Leaves skittered in, crossing the floor like tiny clawed feet. Get some sleep. It'll make a world of difference. Why, that's genius, Lucas. Thanks. Lucas slipped outside. The steps were clear and the yard flat. Most of the leaves were mounted at the refrigerator box, but each footfall crinkled and crackled. Lucas tightened the flashlight beam and played it across the boy's back where he still stood peering in the window. Miss Levesque had lost her husband early on. Did she even know her son wasn't in bed right now? That he'd been claimed? The thin sweatpants and t-shirt the kid wore were woefully inadequate against the cold. But he didn't do so much as shiver. They just didn't seem to care what happened to the bodies they took. Given long enough, the victims simply starved or died of dehydration. Lucas ran the beam back and forth across the boy's back to get his attention. The logo of two children chasing a checkered ball on his shirt confirmed his identity. What was the kid's name? The boy turned. The flashlight's wide beam mode was enough to illuminate a good portion of the wall behind the boy. Even so, his head remained in shadow. As Lucas panned toward his face, the light tightened and bent, sucked into the darkness where the boy's eyes had been. Lucas wavered, knees weak, his head throbbing. Madness tickled the corners of his mind the way it had before he and Emma had locked the hallway door. Resisting the urge to walk toward the boy was easier than he expected. Still, he had to jerk his head to one side to avert his gaze, wincing at the shifting pressure behind his own eyes. This close, you couldn't just casually glance away from their faces. An act of will was needed, and that had never been his strength. Maybe Emma was right. Maybe he should go back for the gun. He couldn't save the boy. No one had ever been able to do that. Taken was taken. And as far as anyone knew, the things looking out through their eyes were unaffected by what happened to the bodies they took. They could not be banished, but the windows to this world could be closed. Windows and doors. Lucas thought of the locked bedroom door in the house, and Zoe's own door, open and left wide so even the slightest whimper could be heard. Swinging the light from the boy's face, heat flared in the back of Lucas's skull. The beam twitched, seeking to hold the boy's eyes until Lucas had swung it well away. The back of Lucas's head itched and burned. When guesses and gasps had still cluttered the airwaves, scientists had blamed the visual cortex. Something in humanity's most rudimentary programming resisted processing what lay behind those cold, empty voids. Lucas just needed this boy as far away from Zoe as possible. Come on. Bile mixed with a taste of potato in his mouth. He spat into the dead grass and began a slow trek across the yard. A hint of cigarette smoke reached him, but he didn't bother looking for Emma. This way. Follow the light. When Lucas reached the curb and stepped on the pavement, he paused until he made out the boy's slow, steady progress through the leaves. He could lead the boy back home. To his mother. No. The thing staring out of him right now had never lived in there. It had never been on the soccer team. Never called the Levesque's mommy and daddy. Lucas regretted leaving the gun, but the choice had been made and he didn't want to extend this evening's stroll any longer than absolutely necessary. 
A few more streets ahead and he'd switch off the light and take a winding jog back, giving the thing a wide berth. Tomorrow he'd visit Miss Levesque. Make sure she knew. The peak of the art center loomed through the trees. Occasionally the Taken would climb stairs to larger buildings. No one knew why. Then they would stop and stare at the structure, or outward, or at the sky. Lucas was plenty far away from Zoe and Emma now. Solar-charged safety lighting glowed dimly through the gaps in the boards nailed over the plate glass entrance. Something small lay unmoving on the stoop, pink and yellow in a print that might have been happy jungle animals. A child's abandoned doll, he allowed himself. The light coming through the door should be enough to catch the boy's attention, so he would not attempt to follow Lucas back home. Lucas glanced back just to make sure the boy was with him. Switching off the flashlight, Lucas cut left, running as far as he dared until his eyes adjusted. The boy continued his casual course toward the art center, the throbbing in Lucas's skull abating as he got farther away, though the pressure behind his eyes remained constant. Seasonal allergies. Nothing to worry about. He was halfway home before he considered turning on the flashlight again. He didn't really need it. The abandoned streets weren't scary anymore. The moon and stars were bright enough and the way was clear. It had been a quiet apocalypse. A quick decline in population as people were claimed and the seasons moved from spring to summer to autumn. Zoe was going to be fine. And Emma? Well, Emma would work through this. She had to. Lucas slowed his pace and looked up at the smudge of the Milky Way, somewhat robbed of its glory by the moon this evening. Once upon a time, he'd laid beneath the stars with Emma. She'd cuddled into him and he'd named off the stars and constellations. Now, though, the night didn't seem so much about those ancient pinpricks of light as it was the emptiness between. Thunder exploded and Lucas was in motion before it echoed from the side of a single house. His mind reeled, a muddle of white noise, denials and promises. She hadn't done it, he told himself. She wouldn't have. Zoe was okay. She was asleep in bed. Her tummy was better. In the morning, they'd crack open a new jar. Peaches. Yeah, they'd have peaches for breakfast. Emma would play with them both in the yard. Lucas bolted across his front lawn, leaves swirling in his wake as he shoved through the kitchen door. He wanted to yell out their names, but was afraid they wouldn't answer. He switched on the flashlight, blinding himself before clicking the switch down to minimum. The kitchen was empty. His forward momentum turned inward like a punch to the gut as his footfalls slowed, but his heart continued to pound. Emma lay on the couch in the living room, her eyes open, squinting into the flashlight beam. Turn that off, she muttered. Did you? I heard it too. Woke me up. Figured you'd come to your senses. She sat up and reached for her cigarettes. It wasn't me. Where's the gun? Still on the table, I guess. And it was. Right where she'd left it. Right where he'd left it. He slipped it into his pocket. Leaving it behind for Emma was a mistake he wouldn't repeat. You should have done it, Lucas, mumbled Emma from the living room. He could picture the cigarette bobbing in her lips as she spoke. His mother would have thanked you. 
Gently, he touched the metal to make sure it was cold, despite Emma's assurance. He walked by the locked room to stand in Zoe's doorway. The pressure behind his eyes had gotten a little better. A sliver of moonlight fell across his little angel, her chest rising and falling ever so slowly, the covers tucked up under her chin. Lucas wiped the corners of his eyes and settled to the floor at her side. Daddy, don't go. Lucas knelt and gave her a hug. The overcast morning made the green of her eyes dingy. The whites were muddy, too. Poor baby was still exhausted. Hell, probably his own vision going. He was forty, after all. At least she felt fine. Between the two of them, they'd polished off an entire jar of peaches. A gust of wind sent leaves whipping about. Zoe was bundled against the chill and took no notice of the temperature in perfect childlike fashion. Emma watched them both from the door. Pulling away from Zoe's grip, he had to smile. With very little work, that pout was going to make her demands utterly irresistible by the time she was driving age. His smile faltered inwardly, but he was pretty sure he'd managed to keep it intact outwardly for Zoe. I'll be back in a little while. I'm just going to visit with one of the neighbors for a few minutes. When I get back, we'll have some fun, okay? Puzzles? Lucas nodded. You betcha. While I'm gone, you and Mommy can play in the fort. That is, if you're willing to tell her where it is. Zoe's tiny brow scrunched, considering the ramifications. He nodded reassuringly to the girl and stole a glance back at Emma. She scowled but gave a curt nod which prompted a rush of giggles from Zoe. Be back in no time. Before he turned the corner, he glanced back. Zoe had taken Emma's hand and was leading her toward the mound of leaves. Lucas thought he might have seen Zoe wince and rub her stomach, but his own stomach was feeling rough. A whole jar of peaches had not been the best plan. His headache wasn't helping matters. He should make a run down to Weaver's, too. It was a small private pharmacy at the back edge of the subdivision. Maybe no one had thought to raid it. He could look for some vitamin C and cold medicine. Maybe the cache of antibiotics. He'd risk the noise and take the car so he could stock up. They couldn't afford to catch the flu. The mystery of the gunshot from the night before was gone as soon as he approached the Levesque house. Its wraparound porch made it odd in a neighborhood of condos. Probably the original house on this tract of land. The house's newest feature, the one he had to force himself to acknowledge, was the splash of red against the wall to the right of the door. A rocking chair lay on its side. A woman's body sprawled against the wall behind it, as if the chair had been a jug and she'd spilled out when it tipped. Lucas didn't need to look closer. In the early days, he would have buried her or covered her body. At first, they had claimed folks randomly. Militaries and police forces around the world had treated their arrival as an invasion, an attack mankind could resist. Once people realized there was no return for their loved ones, their bodies had been terminated with impunity. The visitors didn't run or hide, though. They didn't fight back. And they didn't stop coming. The only indication they were reacting to the slaughter was the day they stopped taking adults. Most people would kill their doctor, their mechanic, or even an old uncle if they were suddenly a monster, even a nonviolent one. But precious few would shoot a child. Now there were probably more of them than people.
a car started, the noise bouncing around between the houses, and Lucas couldn't be sure where it was coming from. The rattle of the engine he recognized. He got home in time to see Emma backing out of the driveway. Zoe's booster seat was empty, and he didn't see her small head poking up in the front seat the way he'd let her ride lately. Emma came to a stop beside him, but kept her gaze straight ahead. Do her a favor, Lucas. And yourself. What are you talking about? Where are you going? He leaned down and looked in the seats and floorboards. No bags or supplies of any kind. She wasn't going far, at least. Unless she'd packed the trunk. Where's Zoe? Emma didn't answer. The back of his head throbbed and his eyes ached. Is she okay? She's in the damn fort. Her voice was choked, and when he leaned in he could see her eyes were sunken and red. She eased the car forward, forcing him to withdraw. Before he knew it, she'd pulled away. Dead leaves, brown and red and yellow, crawled along the surface of the mound in the yard. With each step, the tingle in the back of his skull grew hotter, and the space behind his eyes more painful. Kneeling at the opening of the refrigerator box, he couldn't see inside. He opened his mouth to speak, but couldn't find the sound of a single word. Daddy? Yes, honey? Tears ran down his cheeks. Come on out, baby. Come on out. It's dark in here, Daddy, she said, her voice slow and sleepy, and far away much farther away than he could rationally account for given the size of the box. It's okay. Come on out. Let's go find a good puzzle. A slow, deliberate scuffle and scraping came from inside the box as she crawled out feet first. She was wearing her neon green boots and a purple jacket, the one they'd bought last year, knowing she would grow into it. She stood with her back to him as he reached out for her. He imagined he could hear the car engine over the rustling leaves and the black noise in his ears, that he and Emma could stretch out beneath the stars again, that the twins still cried in their cribs, just needing a feeding, maybe clean diapers, that the screaming in the back of his skull and the pounding behind his face would quiet, if only for a second, that the gun was not so cold in his hand. Zoe turned slowly, as if far beneath the sea, or deeper still within a dream, her gaze bottomless and dark. Here, honey, said Lucas. Open up for Daddy. Lucas nudged the spoon between her lips. Some of the potato broth spilled, and he wiped it from her cheek with his thumb. At least it was warm, and that was good on a cold winter evening. She walked slowly beside him, never looking up, never speaking. She swallowed and he quickly spooned in another bite. The pain behind his eyes had eased with the season, but the pressure in the back of his skull had not. The throbbing screwed with his visual cortex most of the time these days. Sometimes he saw other worlds, especially on the nights when he set up a row of flashlights for her to stare at while he caught a few minutes of sleep. Not tonight, though. When the sun set today, they would walk side by side while the million nameless stars blazed overhead. If he could find the strength, and the pain in his skull eased just a little, 
he would look into her eyes, and they could look back into his. That was William R.D. Woods' Jars for Their Eyes, as read by Anthony Babington. Anthony Babington is an aspiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and The Cursed Inn Podcast. He can be found on Twitter as Aleph Baker. Thank you, Anthony. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we explore the darkness between stars with more Tales to Terrify.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.